Welcome to episode 32 of the Juice Box Podcast. This one is a diabetes Q&A with D-Mom Amy. Amy had a whole bunch of questions she wanted to send me through email, and I was like, come on the podcast instead. So I think you're really going to like this one. We talk about the real nuts and bolts, real life steps that I take, you know, pre-bolusing, speaking with doctors, all kinds of different stuff. If this is something you think you'd like to do, I really enjoyed doing it with Amy. I'd love to do it with more people and more questions. At the end of the show, I will leave you information about how to uh, contact me if you'd like to be on the podcast. And uh, we could get together and do this again with different questions, which I think is a great idea. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Insulet, makers of the Omnipod system, the world's only tubeless insulin pump. Here we go. Okay, I am about to call uh, a woman named Amy. Amy contacted me after listening to a number of episodes of the Juice Box Podcast, and she was like, I have so many questions I'd like you to answer on the podcast. Can I send them to you? And I said, I'll tell you what, instead of doing that, why don't you come on the podcast and ask the questions yourself? Um, we talked earlier in the week, and Amy's like, let me send you the questions. And I said, no, don't, don't send them to me. Let's just do it like it was a phone conversation between the two of us. And if I have thoughts on your questions, great. And if I don't, I'll say I don't know. So um, it's going to be important here to remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast is advice, medical or otherwise. I am not a doctor, a nurse. I, I actually I slept through a number of classes in high school. Um, what you're going to hear is somebody, a parent, asking another parent for their perspective, and I'm going to give my perspective as best I can. If you hear something in there that you think is very valuable, you should absolutely contact your doctor and run it past them. All right, let's see. Uh, let's see how the audio is going to sound. Hello. Hello. Hmm. Amy. Yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Okay. Wow. Actually, I can hear you very well. I just couldn't hear you before when I was saying hello. Could you hear me when I was helloing? Uh, very little bit. One moment. Okay. Okay. Hello, testing, one, two, three. Okay, so first question, are we using your name? Just your first name, first name, last name, whatever you want. Use my first name, okay. Amy. Amy, hi, Amy. Hello. Okay, Amy, so before you came on the line, I was sort of recording and I was saying that you reached out and you were like, I'm listening to the podcast and I'm enjoying it. I want to ask a whole bunch of questions for the podcast. And I was like, why don't you come on the podcast and ask the questions yourself? And um, it took us a little while going back and forth for you to be comfortable with that. But we are here and in a good place and you are comfortable. Yep. Um, I do not know what your questions are in advance. I was, um, I'd like to answer them as best I can. You know, as long as you understand that this is, you know, not in place of medical advice, just a person whose, you know, perspective you're looking for. Um, I think we're good. How many questions do you have? Oh, I've got a big big list. Probably 10, but I, I don't think we'll get to them all. I don't know. Let's go. I talk pretty okay. fast. We'll be okay. So let's get a little bit of an, um, a perspective on you. So you have a child with type 1? Yep. My daughter is 10 years old. Her name is Abigail. And how and long? She, go ahead. Oh, she was diagnosed uh, last year in August, so it's been a little over a year now. Yeah, you're just barely over a year. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Abigail's in high school? No, she's 10 years old. 10, excuse me. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so she's in middle school. She's had type 1 for a year. Are we 
injecting? How are we getting our insulin pumping? Um, we just started the pump a month and a half ago. Okay. How are you finding it so far? Um, it's good. She really likes it. Okay. She, she likes it. Which pump are you using? We are using the Animus Vibe. Okay. Um, how about any glucose monitoring? Yep. Um, about six months ago, we started the CGM, the Dexcom. Dexcom. So you're using the G4 right now? Yep. Okay. And then um, the Vibe, I don't know if you about it, but it, it also has a Dexcom screen on it. So she can see it, and then we have a separate receiver where we can see it. Oh, that's excellent. Um, I didn't actually know that. Okay, so Animus Vibe, Dexcom G4, 10 years old, had diabetes for your what kind of insulin? Uh, Humalog. Humalog? Yep. Okay, I have no specific um, experience with Humalog. I've used Novalog and Depedra, but oh, okay. we'll assume that the uh, th that we're we're in pretty similar situation. So um, let's just jump right into it. What's your first question? Okay. Well, I know you've mentioned on other shows that you bolus, uh, and it sounds like almost every meal. And I'm wondering how you practically do that because we measure our daughter's food right while we're putting it on the plate. And if it's hot food, we're not going to measure it 15 minutes beforehand. So I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering how you practically do that. So how, in a practical way, how do you pre-bolus things? Yeah. Okay. Well, you're going to see patterns at some point. I can tell you basically, it doesn't matter what I stick in Arden's lunchbox. Arden eats between 60 and 70 carbs for lunch. It's okay. just, it's just about as much food as she can kind of get in. Um, if, I was making something for dinner that was, you know, a hot dish. I, you know, I've known her her whole life. So I'm pretty sure I know about how much she's going to eat. And then from there, a lot of it has to do with what is her blood sugar going into the situation. So if, um, you know, for us, if she'd been high prior to, to, to a meal and she was 160, say, or, you know, 200, say she was up in that range, I'm, I'm hoping that, I can get her lower before she starts eating to begin with. So even if I use a little extra, I wouldn't think of it as a bolus for the food. I would think of it as a bolus for the high blood sugar. And so, so like, let, let's think about it in like real like terms for you. If you were making, I don't know, say it was a rainy Saturday and you were going to have a soup and a sandwich. Does that sound like something that might happen to you guys? Yeah. Okay. So what kind of sandwich does she like? You know, off the top of your head, what would you probably make her? Oh, well, it wouldn't go with soup, but peanut butter and jelly is about all she uh, likes for a sandwich. That's fine. Will she eat the whole thing? Yeah. How many carbs is it? Uh, I think her bread is like eight each. Okay. And carbs so each. there you go. So is it pretty safe to bolus 16 carbs? She normally eats the sandwich, right? Yes. So, so you're stuck right now in something that's very, very common, especially in the beginning, is that you're just sort of afraid. Like what happens if a meteor falls in the house in the middle of the meal and she doesn't eat the whole sandwich. Am I, am I right? Well, I, uh, I'm not scared of that, but I, I'm actually not afraid of her eating it all. It's just, I don't know. We're so used to doing it right before she eats that to think about doing all this so far beforehand. Okay. How early, how, how early before a meal are you bolusing? If Arden's blood sugar was 150, I would bolus 20 minutes or okay. before, you know, before a meal, if she was, if her blood sugar was 200, I might give her insulin a half an hour before we ate. And uh. so, and so if, and because of the Dexcom, 
right? Like because I can see if she's falling. Because if something goes crazy and it starts plummeting for some reason, I've really messed up. Um, then we'll see it before it becomes an issue. You know, a falling two hundred blood sugar is not a not an emergency. You know, just you need to do something about it. And maybe the thing you'll end up doing about it is serving dinner. Right. So um, it, you know, so if if a two hundred is falling, if it's an arrow straight down and it's falling, say two points per minute. If I pre-bolus a 200 a half an hour before a meal, and when the meal comes out, it's now, I don't know, say it's 130 straight down, that sounds perfect to me. Okay. Because then by the time the food goes in and starts working, you know, on on her blood sugar 10 minutes later, you kind of guess maybe it'll be another 20 points lower. So you you have a falling 100 um, as the food's starting to kind of release itself inside the body. I mean, I, I can't see it going better than that, actually. Um, um, do, do you ever find that she goes low when you pre-bolus, like maybe, you know, 45 minutes after something? No, no, not at all. No, no you have okay. to here, here, you have to trust the food. And this is a big leap, and it was something I was stuck. I, I got stuck in that feeling for a, a very long time in the beginning, too, which is there are some – I know that there's times, right? There are times when nothing makes sense. When you do everything you've done the day before – and you get low for no reason, no reason that you can kind of find. But if you really step back and look, most days it goes fine. So, you know, a piece of bread today is eight car. Your bread is eight carbs. It is tomorrow is the next day is the next day. You could probably pre-bolus eight carbs twenty minutes before she ate and have her eat a piece of bread, and you'd never get a blip on your Dexcom line. It would probably stay pretty pretty stable. Um, and for it, but for the one day that that all goes wrong and she gets low, I think that's why you have the Dexcom. So, right. and then once you live through these situations over and over again, I think then the process of seeing it, having it happen practically, you know, the way you're talking about, you start building up and sort of a, I don't know, like a memory bank for yourself where you can go, I know what's going to happen here. And I, and within reason can trust that that this, this, that I expect is going to happen is going to happen. Okay. Um, yeah. I'm thinking about some things that I do. Like I, I cut up fruit for the kids and I give that to them right on their plate, like right before we eat. So it doesn't go bad. And how am I going to measure that a half hour beforehand? Yeah. It, it's kind of just a feeling you have. I guess you don't have to measure it exactly because let's say, let's say the fruit is, I don't know, 15 carbs. Let's say it's always the same amount. It's 15 carbs and she usually eats it. So give her 10 carbs ahead of time and you have a pump. If she eats it all, just do five more carbs. You, you know what I mean? Like, like you can err on the side of caution a little bit if you want to. If most of your hot meals at night are whatever they are, say they're 80 carbs, pre-bowl is 50 of them. Okay. And then once they go on the table and you go, you know what? This is 80 carbs the way I expected. Then throw on the next 30. Okay. But Do you they, ever forget that stuff when you get to the table? Like, um, does she I, realize? I try not to. Uh, okay. uh, but, you know, I guess I have a time or two. Arden's not, you know... You know, she's still 11. You know, today yeah. she today she asked me for something for lunch. I said, okay. I started making it. I waited till I knew it was going to be about 15 minutes before it was coming because her blood sugar was like at 110 already. And I said, hey, bowl is for 50 carbs. And I was wearing headphones listening to something on my on my phone. I thought she said, okay. And what she said was, I don't have my PDM. 
So I was like, cool. <laughs> and then she expected that I was going to bring the PDM to her. It was in the room where I was. And then I come out 10, 15 minutes later with the food. And she's like, I didn't bolus for this. And I was like, oh, geez. So I gave it to her right then and there. And it was hot food. So, you know, it took a minute or two to cool down. Then she started eating it. To give you an example of what happened there without a pre-bolus is her blood sugar went up to about 170. And then yeah. it re- and it required more insulin. And it is, you know, just kind of getting back into line now. And it's just from missing that that pre-bolus. We, we, we probably would have been sitting right around 110 after the food. But instead, like I said, 170 and a little extra insulin. Um, yeah. I think a lot of what you're talking about right now is it's a leap you're going to have to make at some point. Like, I mean, you're measuring food. If I'm honest with you, I don't really measure food. I cite count carbs. So um, we learned carb factor. I don't know if you ever use that. And I love it, but it requires us to do it basically when we're putting the food on the plate, which makes it tricky for pre-bolsing. Right. And, and I do like very vague things like, you know, even if it's something that's that's huge, like pancakes, for instance, like generally speaking, a pancake about, you know, four inches around is about 15 carbs. So if Arden has pancakes, then I think, well, she's probably going to eat five. And then I do the insulin for that. And to be honest, if the bolus, like pancakes is a good example, and this is only specific to Arden, but if that bolus works out to be four units, what I say to myself is pancakes usually require five units. So I'm just giving her the five units right now because it would be so much easier 45 minutes from now to tell her like, Hey, you have to drink like half a juice box because I missed on the pancakes a little bit than it would be to fight with a 350 blood sugar for the entire day. Mm -hmm. And then, so that's kind of how I do that. So uh, everything is psych counted to be perfectly honest. I mean, there's some stuff, look, uh, you know, you have a slice of bread. It's a certain thing, but I bake my own bread. And so Every time I slice that bread, it's a different thickness. So okay. I just say that a slice of bread is 20 carbs. And sometimes it's a little heavy and sometimes it's a little light. And that's where I lean on the Dexcom. Okay. So then I have a question. Like you said today, you didn't get to pre-bullets like you thought. So what do you do then if it still spike? I bolused again. So uh, um, I gave her the insulin for the hot food. As she was eating it, she probably started eating five minutes after. That's no kind of pre-bolus. That's not going to help. I watched for I watched the blood sugar creep up, and it didn't go over 160. 160 seems to be my kind of like line at the moment where I'm reacting for something. Had it like been a, a straight up arrow, then I would have bolused another half a unit, three quarters of a unit to stop the arrow. But instead, she drifted to about 160. So I gave her, I think, 0. 0.5 um, to try to, to try to pull it back down again. And that was. And I'm uh, assuming that means not you don't wait two hours. No, it was you about see it going right. It was about. I'll tell you this specific um, example was about an hour afterwards. But had had I given her insulin. See that, that, so this is an interesting situation. So now there's no pre-bolus. If I would have pre-bolused and she ate and her blood sugar was shooting up, meaning like an arrow straight up or two hours straight up, I would have assumed that I missed by as much as a unit and just given her another unit to stop the arrow. However, this was a different situation. I expected her to go up because of the, because the insulin was late as far as I'm concerned. So I had to give it some time to see if it was going to rectify itself or not. 
I couldn't yeah. just, I couldn't. Some, sometimes how do you know if it's one of those spikes that's going to come down on its own? And then if you add more insulin on top of it, it's going to crash later. Time. I know because of time. I know because it's happened over and over and over and over again. And I have an expectation that, you know, the last 10 times something like this happened, this is what happened. And that's not something I write down or keep track of. It's just, it's that part of diabetes. Like, you know, some people say diabetes is only like 10% science and it's 90%, you know, kind of magic, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. just sort of your vibe. And, um, and I just think that that's true. I think that, you know, not unlike Malcolm Gladwell said that after you have about 10,000 hours, like stuff starts becoming more clear and it slows down. I've spoken on my blog and, and earlier in the podcast about that idea of like, at some point, you know, you're just in the matrix and all the bullets are just going slower, you know? And when that yeah. happens, when that happens, you can reach out and redirect them. And I think that's what you're asking right now. What you're asking me is, is, you know, how did you know? And how I know is because I've lived through it so many times that I trust that that's what's going to happen because I've seen it so many times before. Okay. Um, I've heard you talk before about Arden deciding that cereal wasn't going to be good for her blood sugar. Yes. Um, have you changed anything else? Any other foods? Like, cause you know, this spikes her and we, we can't do this anymore. I make my own bread now because of that. Um, you know, even when I was buying bread that said, you know, no high fructose corn syrup, it still had preservatives in it and all kinds of stuff. No matter what I did, um, bread just seemed to, you know, be an issue. We use um, a low glycemic level pasta when we have pasta. Um, if I make a pancake, I don't use a, a pre-bought batter. I make it myself. Um, like stuff like that, trying to keep the, the ingredients simpler, I guess. I mean, I can tell you that you know, bagels and pasta and pizza are tough, but they're less difficult to deal with after you've bolused for a thousand slices of pizza. Then you kind of know what to do. You know, Chinese food's another good example. If I do Chinese food just right, she doesn't really go over like 150. But that includes pre-bolusing, temp basils, you know, making sure she doesn't eat too much. Like, you know, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of like pre-planning, I guess. Right. Um, and, and that's another thing I would say is that it, with carb heavy foods, I would increase her basal rate. Okay. Uh, just kind of out of hand because temporarily, it, yeah, temporarily, you know, like, you know, if, if, if it's, um, you know, Chinese food, it might be, I might increase her basal by like 35% for a couple of hours. And, you know, and then if I notice her kind of drifting lower than I expect, then I'll cancel temp basil. If she's going higher, you know, if it's a little higher, maybe you bolus a little bit. If it's a lot, maybe you change the temp basil. Like it's, there's, it depends, like everything depends on what's happening in the moment. You have to get really comfortable with the tools sort of in your bag, you know, and then you know when to pull out which one and, and in what situation. But like I said, that all kind of comes with time. It's not... I think the biggest issue we all have is that because there's no good way to say what I just said to you while you're sitting in a doctor's office freaking out that your kid was just diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, you don't want to hear from the doctor, oh, don't worry, you'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> you, you want to hear, at this time, do this, count to this, multiply it by that, and do that, and you're fine. Except that with the advent of the Dexcom you know, continuous glucose monitor, we all now know that that's not true. You know, that's a, a starting point. It's a basis. It's 
it's like a speed limit on a curve in a road. And I've probably said this before, but some people's cars will go through the curve at 60 and some people have to go 35 or they'll slide off the street. So the doctor sets the speed limit very low for everybody because if they don't lease common denominator things, then, then they're sending somebody in an old rickety car through a curve too fast. So they give you these very, you know, in my opinion, they give you these very rudimentary ways of taking care of diabetes. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, I hope you figure out the rest of this on your own. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so you're doing the right thing, asking questions and trying to figure out what the right thing is. The person who's going to help you the most with that is just you and time. Uh, you know, right. and, and don't get me wrong, having this conversation together is going to be hugely helpful because something's going to happen that we talked about and it might give you the courage to, you know, bolus again or do something like that. Like, you know, bolusing such a great example. Like you said, well, would you give insulin again before two hours? So someone told you that your daughter's insulin action time is about two hours. But some people think their insulin action time is three hours and four hours or an hour and a half. And to be honest, I don't think any of us know if that's actually true or not. That's just kind of based on, you know, hopefully on basal testing and stuff like that. But no doctor would ever tell you, and I just said this recently on a podcast, no doctor would ever tell you to stack insulin on top of itself. Right. But what they would tell you is, is, you know, if you had something to eat and you missed on the in the insulin, then after the insulin has completely gone through your body, go ahead and bolus again. But what I hear is let your blood sugar be high for two hours and then give yourself more insulin because it's safer. And if I didn't have a glucose monitor, that's what I would do. And that's what I've done in the past because it is stacking insulin and you might cause a, you know, a, a quick drop. But if it's a quick drop that I can see and then I can, I can head it off, then I'd prefer I'd prefer to stop that drop than to live in the high, I guess. Right. Um, we, we are one of, we've been told a handful of patients that have a Dexcom in our office and they see, I think more than 400 people. So that surprises me, but they don't quite know what to do with us because we can see what other people can't and they're very cautious with us. And you know, I want to set things lower maybe. And they're like, no, you can't do that. I'm like, well, we can see when it's dropping. Yeah, so they're just hesitant. Here's what I would say. And this really is going to fly in the face of anything that I think is good advice. It, it, it's your life. You can do whatever you want. You, you, you know, like, so what I do is I push things slowly. Um, I've never once had in, in, you know, nine years of diabetes, I've never once had the endo change my basal rates or change my insulin to carb ratios or something like that. I just changed Arden's insulin to carb ratios at lunchtime last week based on the fact that she was high at lunch a few days in a row and we were back at school and I said, okay, so I just changed them just a little bit. You know, if one unit used to cover 17 carbs, I made one unit cover 15 carbs and then we did it the next day and she didn't get low, but she wasn't as high as she used to be. And I went, okay, good. That, that's okay. Yeah, we're, we're doing them on our own as well. And I hear some people don't do it until they go for their three-month appointment. I'm like, really? Do yeah, you I, need to change anything before that? I just said that the other day. I think it's kind of, it's understandable because of the fear, but it's such a ridiculous thing because in no other part of your life, you know, if, if a guy came to fix your roof today and he said, don't worry, this isn't going to leak, but if it does, I'll be back in three months. <laughs> Like, would you let your roof leak for three months and go, oh, don't worry, he's coming back. You, you know, you'd be like, oh, my God, I got to get him back here. or I got to climb up on the roof and do something. Like, you know, it's just a strange thing to say to somebody, 
my blood sugar has been high, but my, my nurse practitioner said, we'll address it at my next, at my next visit 90 days from now. So I see what you're, I'm sorry. I'm even though Arden's not at school today, I have my timers are still set up for school. Um, and so, and so I said to myself, well, I'm not going to wait around for three months to make a decision. I'll, I'll bump things a little bit here. And if you bump them slow enough, you know what? It really occurred to me the first time I watched my nurse, Arden's nurse practitioner make like in the very early days when I saw her making a change in her PDM of her, of her, of her pump. And we were sitting there talking about, it, I thought, Oh my God, she's just guessing. Yeah. Like, like I can guess, <laughs> you, yeah. you, you know what I mean? So since then I just, I just do it on my own. And, right. and, and I mean, if you're, if you're too afraid or if you don't feel like you have the, enough knowledge, then I would say the next step isn't, to just blindly do it on your own and make a mistake, but don't wait three months. Like get them on the phone, like make them answer you now. You, you, you right. know what I mean? And, and, um, and that's, and, and you can always change it back. Excuse, right. excuse me. And if you have a glucose monitor on top, which I, I hear what you're saying, listen, glucose monitors are expensive. A lot of people's insurance don't cover it. Um, you know, Medicare doesn't cover Medicaid doesn't cover like, you know, there's a lot of people that can't get it and that's unfortunate. And I believe will change in time. Um, but for the moment, if you have that extra technology, then, then I say, use it, you know, and if you don't have it, then, you know, maybe you have to test a little more to try something out. That's how I used to do it before the, you know, before the CGM, I would take Arden's, you know, meter in and at her appointment and they'd look at it and they'd be like, well, you're testing at all these weird times and her blood sugar is always high. And, but her A1C is good. There must be a lot of lows. And I'd say, no, there's not a lot of lows. These highs are not. Like I'm not using the meter to see what I should be doing next. Like I'm using the meter to see where her blood sugar is after food, after exercise. Like like I'm trying to I'm trying to act as my own glucose monitor. So you could do a little extra testing and do that for yourself if you don't have one, and then just be a little more incremental about making changes. I think. Yeah. So how often you said you changed it last week? Because I find myself now I don't know if my daughter is coming out of the honeymoon or what, but she keeps running a little higher. She did have a cold the last two weeks, but mm-hmm. I feel like I'm changing it every few days. Yeah, you're probably overreacting to some things. Like I think I don't pay attention to anything unless it happens for more than three days, and on two different in, um, sites on a on an insulin pump. Oh, okay. You, you know what I mean? Because. There's things that, ha- I mean, listen, sites start to go bad before you change them. You know, Arden's pump was supposed to be changed today at 3 p.m. And I changed it at 9 a.m. And to be perfectly honest, if I had my wits about me, I would have changed it at 5 a.m. Because I I ended up bolusing at 5 a.m. for a blood sugar that I thought I knew for sure was creeping up because the, because the site was going bad. Okay, so and- how often do you change it? When it needs to be changed. So usually two days. Uh, yeah, listen, most of the times it makes it three days. You know, most of the time we get right out to the end of seventy-two hours. I've had um, Omnipods last. You know, the full eight. You know, there's a there's a a buffer on the other side, right? It's supposed to. It tells you to change it seventy-two hours, but it, the um, Omnipod gives you an eight-hour kind of cushion at the end. I've had it go right out to eighty hours with no problem. Sometimes in the win- in the summer. When it's warmer outside and she's been outside a lot with it, I'll end up changing it on the second day because maybe I think the insulin's not um, as, you know, not working as well as it was on the first day. You know, I change it when it has to be changed. So, um, and there are times, you know, 
not often, but I've, I've changed one. And then 20 minutes later, her blood sugar starts falling. And I thought, Oh, I just didn't wait long enough, mm-hmm. but, but better safe than sorry. <laughs> you, you know? So, um, I would say most days we make it well into the third day, two days, sometimes, you know, never in the first day, um, right. you know, unless something's really like oddly wrong with the site. Well, that's the problem I'm having right now is she's having, I don't know if we're still just getting used to this font. Well, we are, we're all, we've only been using it a, a little more than a month, mm-hmm. but, um, I, I just feel like she's higher than I want her to be. And her A1C was good. So the doctor's like, it's great. But I think, no, I, I think we can, I know I'm thinking about you and other people that have decent CGM lines on their, on their CGM screen. And, and we don't have that. Ours is kind of roller coastery, but I'm hoping stuff. the pre-bolus helps. Well, I mean, are, is the choppiness you're seeing is it happening around meals? Like going up? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then sometimes it'll just go up and stay up. And yeah. I, then I think that's a basal thing. Um, if it goes up on its own and like without food and just stays up, then it's you know it's possible. Like I mean, it's we could sit here and say all day things that it's possible. Like you said, she yeah. had a cold. <laughs> it could be the cold. She could have adrenaline going. She could be angry at you. She could you know when Arden was a baby, like a like a little baby when she was two years old, if her blood sugar was dropping, and we couldn't stop it. I don't know if I've ever said this on the on the on the um on the podcast before but there were a handful of times that i would get into like an actual like little baby argument with her on purpose like a screaming match with her (laughs) to piss her off to help her blood sugar stop falling and trust me it worked every time so so the opposite of that is possible too if you're i don't know if you have other kids but you know if she walks through the room and you have another kid and they get into a you know some sort of an argument for five seconds and she leaves it could push her blood sugar up like you have okay. no, you have no idea what it could be. It could be any number of a bazillion things. What right. I would say is that after three days, if every day at that time her blood sugar is drifting up for reasons that you can't figure out, then maybe that time of day does require a little more insulin in a basal rate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you can't switch it every day because there's so many outside influences that what happened today might not happen tomorrow. Right. I hear ad music. You want to do what you want to do without worrying, including all those fun fall activities. Omnipod can help. You get continuous insulin delivery and it's waterproof, so you don't have to disconnect for daily activities. Even better, it's totally discreet with no tubing to tangle or to dictate what you wear. That's pretty great. Wow, I didn't sound very convincing. That's pretty great. That's pretty, it's hard for me to just say that's pretty great like that, but it is pretty great. The best way to understand Omnipod is to try it for yourself. So get a free demo kit, including a sample non-functioning pod by going to www.myomnipod.com forward slash demo, and you can see what you think. There's no obligation. So I wonder if you know that Omnipod has a recycling program for its pods. It's free. You call up their customer care number and they send you out this little kit and you ship the pods back to them and they have a disposal program that, that in their words, takes care of them in an earth-friendly way. Um, I'm going to tell you a really fast story. Years and years ago, we were saving the pods for the disposal program and there was this, suddenly in our kitchen, this faint electric humming sound we thought our light bulbs were bad at one point my wife was like i think maybe the guy wired the dishwasher wrong it took us days it was it got so irritating this noise wouldn't stop 
And eventually I opened up this drawer and at the bottom of this pile of old Omnipods that were waiting to go back for the disposal program, there was one that was just humming slightly like the bat. It got funky. And it was like, and that's when I learned that you can stick a paperclip in the back of the pod to make the beeping stop if it doesn't stop on its own. I'll put links in the show notes to my blog post about how to stop a pod from beeping with a paperclip, the disposal program, and I think I might be able to find the story of when that pod drove us all nuts. Um, so what numbers on your pump are, are you correcting to? Ours, our doctor told us 120, and I asked, can we do it a little lower? I'd like it a little lower, and they said no. no. So, so you correct over 120? Yeah. I think that's, but, that's pretty good. Okay, but our our um, pump won't let us do it. If she's at like 135, mm-hmm. it won't correct it. She has to be over 140 in order for it to correct to 120. So then that's sound. Now I don't know the vibe, but that sounds like a setting in the pump you could change. Yeah, it could. I, I'm afraid to do it and make somebody mad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, listen. The only person you're going to make mad is somebody who's not you or your kid. So whatever. And the so- one we pay the bills. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, oh, wait, okay. And so, the endo. I'm, I'm afraid they're going to say, hey, we told you not to change those things, and you're changing them. So change it and see if it works. And if it works, then, you know, what do they say? What's that saying? It's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Yeah. Uh, right? And, and if it works, great. And listen, I'm, you know, I'm of the mind that if you change it and it goes bad, just change it back before you go to the endo so they don't know what happened. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, if, if you're really concerned with what they think, I, I think I, my best advice to you would be, I wouldn't be too worried about what they think. But, um, you know, if that's what you want to do, if you're trying to keep tight tolerances and you have a glucose monitor and you're safe about it, then, then you know, do what you think is right. It's, you yeah. know, it's your kid. So what do you correct to? Or if you want to share that. No, I'll share it. Listen, um, I think that... I have Arden's PDM set up to ask for a correction over a blood sugar that's 120. Um, but to say that I lean on the meter to decide when to correct is probably would be a mostly a lie. So, I mean, I do, you know, we, we check our blood sugar multiple times a day, but if the glucose monitor is, you know, listen, I'm, let me preface this by saying that any doctor would tell you not to do this. I think the makers of the glucose monitor would, are, 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 I would tell you not to do this, but I bolus based off the, off the CGM if I trust the CGM. So if, you know, if the CGM says she's 150 for a while, you know, I mean, Arden's a little kid and it's important to say this too, like, you know, is, you know, she weighs, she weighs in the sixties, like sometimes 68 pounds, sometimes 66. She fluctuates right around there. You know, but if her blood sugar was 150 on the on the glucose monitor, um, and I didn't see any insulin left over from anything else, and she was just sitting at 150, I would tell her to just bolus like 0.35. Like, let's try to bump the 150 and move it. Okay. You know, um, I wouldn't. If her blood sugar was 300, I wouldn't say, "Oh, I know the meter would ask for you know a unit and a half for this. Just do it." I would obviously test that. Um, but what I see most of the time, you know, you can kind of like start teaching yourself the ranges closer to a hundred and lower that CGM is usually for Arden really, really accurate. If it says she's 86 and I test, she's usually, it usually says 86. Assuming that she's probably. Right, right, right. Up around 150, 160. Sometimes she's 20 points higher than that when she tests. But here's the thing. 
And um, excuse me for one second. Here's the thing that I always kind of think about in the back of my head. Now, the new G5, they say, is going to be more accurate, but that's not out yet. We're using the G4. If you stop and think that the FDA requires the CGM company and the meter company to be within 20% tolerances, what that basically means is if you test in this and your meter says your blood sugar is 100, your blood sugar could be anywhere between 80 and 120 because the FDA says that that meter needs to be accurate within 20%. So that's 20% up and 20% down. It's the same with the CGM. If the CGM says she's 150, then I assume she could be 180 or 120, somewhere in that range. Um, When you stop and really, when you get past the anger of that, (laughs) when you get past being angry about that or hopeful that it'll change or anything, what you really realize is that this is all just supposition on some level. You, you, You know, so... That's where the trend lines for the CGM come in really, you know, handily to me. You know, I mean, if she's sitting at 150 and it's been steady forever, then a little 0.35 bump in a bolus, even if she's really 120, is only going to make her 80. If she was really 120, she might drop to 80. If she's really 150, she might drop to 120. Either way, I'd be happy. Yeah. You, You know, so, so much of that has to happen in your head, I think. Yeah. You know. And and if you mess up, you can correct. Yeah, I mean, sure. You can, I don't know, give well, her a glucose tablet. Or- there's a million things you could do. Listen, um, you know, in a non-emergency situation, I've I'll shut Arden's basal off for a half an hour to to move a number. So if if her blood sugars, you know, if she's 75 and sitting in the living room watching television, which is not television anymore, now it's Netflix. <laughs> so if she was sitting in the, t- in, the, in the living room, stealing my laptop watching Netflix, and her blood sugar was 75, and I said to her, hey, test and see if that's 75. And it, it said yes. And we, the, me- you know, the meter and the glucose monitor agree, so her blood sugar is 75. If we were three hours past the last bolus for food, and there was no food in her, no insulin in her, and she was just resting at 75, I might say to her, hey, could you, you know, do it? decrease in your bolus, like in your basal. Do like a 50% temp basal decrease or do 100%. Shut it off for a half an hour. And then just let's see if it bumps up a little bit. Okay, that's good because I've been giving for a while as we're getting used to the bump. Mm-hmm. It was like every day I'd be giving her, okay, here, have this half a glucose tablet or one Skittle. It's like just to bump her up a little bit. Yeah, at those I'm low numbers you mean? i of all that sugar. Yeah, right, right. And so you can, now you can't, listen, you need insulin. Everyone needs insulin. Um, You know, even, you know, you know, when you're sick, even if your blood sugar is low, you still have to have insulin or you'll end up with ketones and stuff like that. You know, you have to have insulin, but for a half an hour, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like I've, listen, I've, I've made mistakes where, you know, her blood sugar looks like it's not going to move, looks like it's not going to move, it's not going to move, it's not going to move. And then you bolus, I don't know, you know, the equivalent of what her basal rate for an hour is. And five minutes later, her blood sugar starts falling. Yeah. And I'll be like, Ugh. so the first thing I would do in that situation is I would shut the bol- the basal off for an hour and sort of s- hope that we could trade that bolus for the basal. Does it always work? Not always. Yeah. But sometimes it does. And when the times it works, then you, you know, then you avoid, like you said, like some sugary treat or something like that, that you're, you're hoping not to have anyway. Yeah. Um, you had just mentioned that sometimes you turn it on for a half hour. Does that make a difference? Turning it off? Like, turning, uh, maybe not off, but like lowering it or raising it 
for a half hour? Sure. Yeah, sometimes. You know, sometimes okay. if you're just looking to bump it a little bit, it does. I mean, it, it takes a while for it to go into action. You know, it's not like turning off a light switch. You're not affecting it immediately. But like I said, like in that example, if she's 75 for the last hour and she's not moving, there's no insulin, there's no food. Then if you cut the, you know, cut off the basil for a half an hour, about 45 minutes later, you should kind of see it drift up a little bit. If it yeah, works. If, if well, works. that's a tricky thing because everything you do takes so much time. Yes. You're waiting. You, yes. you give the, you give the bolus and you're, you don't find out if did it right till a while later. Yeah, right. And and that and that sort of goes from insulin to insulin too. Like, you know, Arden used to use Novolog. Novolog wasn't real successful for us with Arden. So we switched to Apidra. Apidra works much better for her. Um, you know, we used to have a lot of um like double arrows up and double arrows down with Novolog, which we don't okay. have anymore with Apidra. And, you huh. know, who knows why? It's, you know, it, what works for one wouldn't work for the other one, but for her, like we kept changing until we changed until we figured something out um you know so just being proactive i think without being i think you have to be proactive without being reactive right if that makes sense um do you have time for me to ask you a little bit about at night i have nothing but time for you go ahead okay good we're we're getting through my list of questions pretty good though um so at night i i'm so thankful for your show about being bold with insulin i think it was called because um, you had talked about keeping Arden on the lower side, and I had, I'd never heard that. So um, it made me realize, okay, she can be at eighty, and she'll be okay. Like that's a good, good thing, especially with the CGM. You can see that if she's not dropping. But do you have um, a problem with Arden um, having false lows in the night with the Dexcom? I mean, I have in the past. You know. Um Last week is a great example out of, you know, and, and I don't know if you want to call it a false low or not. So she goes to bed, her blood sugar is like 110. And I'm like thinking this isn't going to hold up. There's something about the night that made me think, I think she had like popcorn as a snack. And popcorn is one of those interesting things for Arden. Like sometimes it needs a bolus and sometimes it doesn't. Like it's just... I don't know. It's hard to put into words, but she was in bed an hour after I'd bolstered her for the popcorn. And I thought this one ten's not going to hold up. Excuse me. So I started by I shut off her basal for a half an hour, and a half an hour later she was still at one ten. So that was without a basal for a half hour. So I was like, okay, should I shut it off one more time? And I was like, no, I'm not going to. I'll, I, I left it go back on. And then I'm in bed, and it was one of those nights, like, I can't go to sleep yet. I know this is going to go wrong somewhere. And all of a sudden, she started trending down, and it was 90, and then 80, and then 70. And with the, you know, by the time she got to 70 with a, with a, with a diagonal down arrow, I was like, okay, I'm going to give her a half a juice. So her juice boxes are like 15 carbs, so I basically gave her eight carbs in her sleep. And then I watched it go to 60 and 55 and 50, and then it kind of leveled off at 50. And I was like, okay, let me wait a couple of minutes before I give her the rest of this juice, right? And so sure enough, she just sat there at 50. So I went back in the room. Arden is a champion at drinking juice in her sleep. She drank the rest of the juice box, and I cut the basil off for a half an hour again. And so I'm sitting there and I'm waiting. Now I'm comfortable at this point. The juice plus the temp basil, which ends up half off, you know, half an hour off here and a half an hour off there. I know this is going to do the right thing. Like I know it. 
and I'm sitting there and sitting there and sitting there and watching. And the and then the next time I look up, the Dexcom says low with a steady arrow. And I was like, I know she's not low. And I went in and tested and she was 103. Yeah. And so, I mean, but to say that that happens infrequently is an understatement. You know what I mean? Like, I don't remember the last time that happened prior to it just happening now. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it says she's 69 and she's 95. You know, that that's all true. And it's it's one of those things that does suck because you're sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Um and there's nothing worse than it's saying she's 70 and it, she's really 95 and you, you know, you put the number back in and it doesn't, it doesn't go back up enough for your, right. to get past your alarm. And you're like, that's exactly where I'm at. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, damn it. But, I, I've given her in her sleep. So she would, so these things would stop buzzing mm-hmm. so I could get some sleep. It's like, I know she's at a hundred and this is a great place, but this thing keeps telling me she's 50 or whatever. So here, have this glucose tablet just to make the machine be quiet. What can you test her in her sleep? Like, I do. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, listen. It's tough. It's just you know every once in a while it's not a perfect system. But I would rather the thing beep at me and say she's seventy when she's really ninety five and still have the um the possibility of hearing like down arrows. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the arrows to me, I mean, I think the glucose monitor is fantastic. I think that's obvious from when you listen to me talk about it. But if that thing just had arrows on it, I'd still think it was pretty good. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I just find it going off a lot because I am trying to keep her on, you know, 80 or 90. It's fine with me. Mm-hmm. So that I find. Well, maybe are you, are you drifting lower year. at that 80 and 90? Are you drifting down? No, usually it's a pretty steady. Okay. So it's not like a basal issue or anything like that. No. No. So. Um, yeah, I think it's just what, what it is. I'm sorry, what was that? I think it's just, it's an is what it is situation. Yeah, maybe well, the, ours maybe is uh, going off a lot. <laughs> maybe the G5 will be a little different. I don't know. Um, yeah. You know, and, but... God, I'm sorry. Oh, and now that she has the vibes, so she has the Dexcom on her pump, so it's attached to her, and man, those first few weeks, she just slept terrible because then hers was buzzing, mm-hmm. and then my receiver was buzzing with me, and yeah, it was just... We didn't get a lot of sleep. We're yeah. still struggling with that, too. Yeah, Arden has the Omnipod, so, um, you know, the pod itself doesn't vibrate. So she doesn't, yeah. she doesn't feel it. And to be perfectly honest, I, I mean, I'm 100% honest. If you duct taped Arden's Dexcom receiver to her forehead, it wouldn't wake her up. Really? She, she <laughs> is terrible at it. I, I, that kid is in sixth grade. I have yet to see her alarm clock wake her up in the morning for school. Really? She, nothing happens. You could just... Bugs Bunny could come through playing a full band by himself and she'd sleep right through it. So, <laughs> so yeah, that, that stinks, but that, that definitely doesn't happen here. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, if she is high in the night, what do you, what number do you correct to in the night? Is it different than the day? Okay. So this is a real interesting question. Like the way you ask the question is very interesting. What number am I, what number am I shooting for? Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't, because I don't think about the, I don't think about the insulin like that. Like I, most of Arden's boluses are just off of the top of my head. Okay. So I don't, you know, I'll, I'll test with a meter and the meter is her Omnipod um, controller. And if I tested her and she was, you know, 165 at one o'clock in the morning, I wouldn't just wait to see what the pump asked me to do. I would think, 
that's where I would just go into my kind of data bank of what I know works when it works. And in that situation, I, I know off the top of my head, eh, I'd give her 0. 0.60 if she was 160. But that's a specific thing to Arden. It's right, not something right. somebody else would do. But you can, you know, how do I come to that number? I come to that number because the night before I tried 0. 0.40 and she only went down to 130. You, you know, or, you know, the night before I tried 0. 0.75 and I got her a little lower than I wanted to. And I ended up cutting the basil off to make up for it. That kind of thing. Um, okay. It's just a time in the simulator kind of situation for me. Yeah. But but where like would I want her to, where would I want her to be? Yeah. In a perfect or not, no, not where you can say that. I'd like to that too a bit. Yeah, I mean I'd prefer I'd prefer if she was sleeping her blood sugar was ninety. Okay. I mean that, I, that's where I like but because if ninety on the CGM and if the CGM's a little off, maybe she's really eighty or a hundred and 15 you know what i mean like like so in that space as long as it's a steady number like i'm not i'm not a lunatic like i'm not like hey 80s fine but she's been getting low all night you know if if it's one of those nights where she keeps getting low then then i'll you know i'll go over to one you know go to the other side of 100 and like let's sit at 130 i think that the um you know i've said this before but because we're talking about so much it begs saying here you know what's the difference between a blood sugar of 200 150 and 80 at 200, you feel safe because even if it's a really crazy fall, you figure you can cover it before she gets to 100. At 150, you feel pretty safe. But at 80, that's when everybody goes, oh, no, 80 is terrible. 90 is unbelievable. But most people walking around who don't have diabetes, if you check their blood sugar, their blood sugar is about 85, 90. You know? right. um, and so, so what's the difference? And I think the difference is just very simply, it's fear. It's fear right. of not being able to catch a low. And and that's a very reasonable fear. And it is something that is obviously very strong when you're more newly diagnosed. It's obviously something that's very strong if you don't have something like a glucose monitor. You know, if you didn't have a glucose monitor on your 10-year-old, I would never say to you, you should definitely try to keep her blood sugar around 85 overnight. Because that sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> because right. how how would you catch a drop? But at the same time, I wouldn't give I wouldn't say to those same people, well, you know, 200's okay. Because if you look online when people are talking about it, their overnight blood sugars that they're putting their kids at a lot are like 180, 200. I feel better when she's 200 overnight, I hear people say all the time. And I'm like, oh my God, that's that's twice what you're shooting for. You, yeah. you know, and then, then later they're like, oh, the, the A1C is 9, I don't understand. Like a third of the, a third of the kid's life, their blood sugar is at 200. Right. So and the- doctors are telling them to, I mean... Our, somehow we didn't get this message that we were supposed to correct a different number during the night. So this is when she was on shots. We were correcting to 130. Mm-hmm. And so we got this piece of paper that said, do your normal correction at night before going on the pump. This is like two days before we started the pump. Right. Do your normal correction at night to 200, I think it was. And I said, what? This says this paper says 200. We've been, they said, what have you been doing it to? We said 130 and they about fainted. Um, but it's like we have the CGM, we can see she's just fine. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I really do. I first of all, I, I, again, I think it's a travesty that anybody who wants a CGM can't have that. That everyone can't have one. It, that that it's right. a it sucks that it's a financial issue. It sucks that it's a it's a an insurance issue. Um, it is. You know, you still hear insurance companies say that it's not a necessity. It's you know, it's a it's a bonus kind of a thing. That is absolute crap. You, oh, right. you, you know, um, your blood sugar is not supposed to be 200. 
you, right. you know, it's, 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 well, you have diabetes, so it's okay if your blood sugar is 200. Huh? What does that mean? You, yeah. you know, and what that means is we all use man-made insulin that goes wonky sometimes and makes our blood sugar so low that people are afraid of, you know, of, of seizures and, and, and you know, you're talking to a person whose kids had two seizures. So it's not a theoretical thing for me. I've seen it happen. I know what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and still, I'm going to tell you, I, I would, I'm not going to err that far on the side of caution. You know, I mean, if I didn't have a glucose monitor, I'd be, sh- I, I have to be honest, I used to shoot for around once I got comfortable, I would shoot for around 140, 130 overnight. Yeah. And that's how the A1C started getting into like the high sevens, you know, before the glucose monitor. Right. Our, um, now that we're on the pump, our endo told us, correct, in the night to 180. I still said, that's pretty high. And I asked to change it and they said no. So I just kind of manually go in there at night and I'm thinking, well, I like you, like, I, okay, can't. I think I can give her a little more. Right. I think I should give a little less. I cannot disagree with what you're saying. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm almost done with my questions, but I have one more. Go ahead. We're under okay. an hour still. Most of the shows go about an hour. You're doing great. All right. Well, we can keep talking then. Um, does your daughter care about these numbers? Like, does she understand? Does she? She completely does she... understands. She doesn't give a crap. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Does she roll her eyes? Yeah, uh, she just, you know, I mean, like I, I told you earlier, like I said, hey, a bowl is 50 carbs for food. And then afterwards, she's like. She's like, well, I said it on my PDM. And I was like, well, at, some, at what point when I didn't bring it to you, were you going to get up and do it yourself? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, so I think it's an age thing, too. Like, you know, within reason, she's 11 years old. Yeah. Um, you know, she's very compliant about the things that I ask her to do. And I don't use the word compliant in a militaristic way. I mean, when we talk, she's like, okay, cool. You know, once in a while, she's like, I hate this. It's a pain. Like, I understand all that. But... I'm a big fan of letting things play out over time, like in parenting in general, not just in diabetes. And a good example of that is, is that Arden will come home from school most days hungry and want a little snack. Now, sometimes she'll be like, I'm going to have a couple of nachos. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And I'll say to her, let's assume each nacho is a carb and a half. So go ahead and count out 20 and give yourself a carb and a half for 20 chips. She hates that. She hates having to count the chips. She hates the whole idea of it. She wants to grab a handful. She doesn't want to use a, you know, a bowl. She wants to like stick them in her shirt and walk away like that kind of thing. And she and I do this dance with the chip thing as an example for years. And a couple of days ago, she came home from school. She said, I think I'm going to have some nachos and dip them in a little cheese. And I said, okay. It's a carb and a half for each chip. And I looked up to to prepare myself for the for the song and dance we were going to do. And she started doing it on her own. Okay. And I was as happy as I could be. But as a parent, if you're not willing to wait two years for, for a tiny little victory like that, then you end up yelling and a lot and, you know, and, and getting in arguments and things like that. I just, every time I'm like, just do a carb and a half. And when she doesn't do it, I do it. And then this one day just it happened on her own. It's a lot like the cereal. You know, like one day she's just like, if that cereal is making my blood sugar too high, I'm not going to eat it anymore. Right. Yeah, my daughter, she, she does a lot of it on her own. I'm really proud of how she picked up on the math of it all. And she's usually pretty good. But, you know, that pump it's attached to her. It's different than the Omnipod because you have the remote 
Mm-hmm. So anything that I want to do, I have to go to her. She has to take it off her pants, and it's just a pain in the butt for her. Yeah, I find I've tried a couple of times to characterize this, and it's hard. I, I don't think I quite get it right ever, but is something a bit dehumanizing about saying to a kid, like, stand still so I mm-hmm. can, like, point this thing at you and make it beep? And and I and I guess for the people who live through having kids with diabetes, they would understand. And probably for those who don't, I'd have to I'd have to probably explain it over six pages of like a written you know mm-hmm. thing. But I find it a little it's a it's oddly dehumanizing. You know, like stand still while this thing that's tethered to you comes over to me, and I touch it now, and you can't move, you can't do this. I, I get what you mean. I definitely yeah. think that sucks. The Omnipod helps with that a lot because it isn't connected. Um, and there's a good distance, but sometimes like some pods, you know, have better, it's funny. It's like from pod to pod, you get slightly better, um, distances. Okay. You know, I can, I can give Arden insulin when she's in her bedroom from the, from the dining room on the first floor. Okay. But then every once in a while that doesn't work with one of the pods and I have to walk upstairs. But she has to be still, and you have to be pointing it in her direction. Uh, no, it's like a distance thing. It's about like 20 feet from it. It works. Oh, okay. And it actually goes through, like, it works through, like, the drywall and stuff like that. So, um, but, no, I, I get your point. And, and, and Arden, like, she's not, she gets better all the time, but that's by design a little bit, too. We are handing over this diabetes thing to her inch by inch, you know, yeah. year by year. It's not, and, and we have something coming up, actually, um, for the first time. So, I've talked about before that. Kelly and I went to a Christmas party last December and Arden's insulin pump needed to be changed. And we were too far. We were, we were, you know, 150 miles from where she was. And I, she texted me, you know, my blood sugars, you know, I don't think it's working. And I said, I think we have to change your pod. Let me get to somewhere quiet. We can FaceTime and I'll, you know, I'll help you through it. And she said, okay. And then I did. And I said, text me when you're ready. And she wasn't texting me. So I texted her back and I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And she goes, it's done. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're right. A FaceTime. She goes, no, it's done. Uh-huh. I switched the pump. It's all finished. How much do you want to bolus now? And I was like, okay. So she was at my sister-in-law's house. And my sister-in-law said she changed that pump like she had done a million of them. Yeah. And she hadn't. She'd only done a handful of them. So sometimes I think they leave it to us because, mm. you know, because it sucks. up. You know, like, because we'll do it. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was happy to see her in a situation where she kind of had to buck up and do it herself. Now, what we have coming up in October is, is very odd for our family. My wife has to travel overseas for business this one week. So she will be gone. And in that same week, I have to fly out on Thursday and be gone until Sunday with my son. My son's got to go south and play baseball in front of some college coaches. So... There's this Thursday and Friday. One day Arden has off from school, the Friday, but Thursday she has school. Now I have to leave very early Thursday morning. So my mother, who is in her 70s and is, you know, has all of her wits about her, but doesn't know a damn thing about type 1 diabetes, my mom is going to stay at the house and she's going to get off, you know, Arden off on the school bus on time and get her home and, you know, cook for her and stuff like that. But Arden and I are going to handle her type one the same way we do when she's at school through text messages and conversations and things like that. So I'm going to stay connected to her with the diabetes from Florida, just like, you know, to New Jersey, just like I do from, you know, my house to across the street at her school, because in the end, there's no difference except for like a catastrophic issue, right? Right. So 
my mom's going to understand the overnight stuff and that she and I are going to have to be in contact overnight that Arden might need to drink a juice and things like that. But the other stuff, the, you know, what happens if the pump needs to be changed and Arden flakes, I don't think that'll happen. Mm-hmm. But if she had to change her Dexcom, that's not something she can do on her own. She's never done it on her own. I wouldn't want the first time to be when my wife's in London and I'm in Florida and she's in New Jersey. So yeah. I've found a couple people in town whose kids use Dexcom and I've had conversations with them already. And I'm like, if something goes completely flaky, I need you to come to my house so my daughter can yell at you while she's doing her Dexcom because that's basically <laughs> going to be what it is. Like her anxiety, Arden's anxiety is going to get the best of her. She's going to be like, help me, don't touch me. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, and, 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 but overall, I don't think that's going to happen. You, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm going to change the decks a few days before I leave, give it a couple of days to, you know, show me that it's working. And, you know, hopefully it'll be fine. But in the end, I think that these couple of days are going to be what pushes her forward again. Like she's going right. to get stuck in situations where she goes, well, I have to react now. I can't. There's no one to turn to. And, um, and I think that ends up being a good thing every once in a while, you know? Yeah. We left my daughter... Um one of the first times uh, weeks ago. Well, we had done it a little bit beforehand, but um, so we were about 45 minutes away and um, with somebody who doesn't really know anything much about type one. And mm-hmm. I said, are you nervous? To my daughter. I said, are you nervous about being there all night and doing the meal and everything by yourself? She said, are you kidding? It's like, okay, I guess you got it under control. She's thrilled to get away from you. <laughs> yep, yep. Unfortunately, we came home and I looked at her um, meter history like uh abigail you did not check your blood sugar before you ate dinner <laughs> and another time before she ate something so i was like okay yeah she wants to be away but she, there's still things she needs to work on oh absolutely and i think yeah. that that's you know probably you traded a day of blood sugars for a good a good experience for her you know personally right. and at the same time i would say that that's why i have contact with arden while she's at school because she is a little kid and at some point if you know if she's not feeling the effects of being high or low diabetes is and I, listen i take this as a great thing diabetes is the last thing on her mind yeah you, you know so that's fantastic really she's not yeah. she's not walking around all day you know with the weight of the world on her shoulders thinking you know oh my god i have diabetes what's next what's next she doesn't think about it at all right. and 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 i think that's a i think that's great too on its own on its own merits so i don't you know i can tell you that over the years I see myself involved less and less, but it's not something where I can draw a line and say, oh, this happened here and now she does this and I don't do it. It just happens incrementally at a speed that's almost not visible to the naked eye. So, Right. Yeah. Cool. Is that, is that all your questions? That is. I've got a few others. But what, come on. One more. What do you got? Really? What's, what's the good one? What do you got there? Oh, see, I did all my good ones. That's all right. Go backwards then. Hmm. Do you use any of those special boluses on your pump? like Extended boluses? Yeah, we've never tried them. Yeah, I use them a couple times a week. Okay, so when, when do you use them? At lunchtime when Arden's at school, if her blood sugar is too low to bolus the entire, to pre-bolus the entire meal, then I use an extended bolus. So as an example, if her blood sugar is 110, this year her lunch times have changed. So we are bolusing for... Lunch around 11.25, but lunch isn't till 11.40. She doesn't start eating until about 11.45, in, in between 11.40 and 11.45. So if we bolus at 
11.20, she gets a good 20-minute pre-bolus. Now, if Arden's blood sugar was 140 at 11.25 and lunch required five units, I would say to her, just take the five units, don't mess around, get into the cafeteria, sit down and eat. But if her blood sugar was 90 at 10.25, I would tell her to take the five units and then do an extended bolus. Let's, I might say do 50% of the bolus right now. So two and a half units goes in right away and then do the balance of the bolus over the next half an hour. Okay. So that slowly that other two and a half units is trickling in over the next 30 minutes. You can choose how long that on the Omnipod. Can you it can. Take? Okay. Yeah. You can choose like I have it set up as percentages. So you can do 20% now the balance over a half hour or an hour or two hours I know there are some people who use extended boluses to combat like Chinese food or pizza stuff that, you know, you know, goes in your stomach and continues to give off carbs for hours and hours afterwards where, you know, yeah. the idea is I know the slice of pizza is going to require X amount of insulin, but it doesn't need it all up front. It's going to, it's going to end up making me low, you know, 45 minutes from now and then I'm going to get high in an hour and a half, you know, they'll use it like that. But that's a very, um, that's a that's one of those things where I think you have to practice with it to figure it out. Right. But yeah, that's the that's the specific spot where I use them is at school when I want her to have all the insulin, um, but I don't want us to have to text again in the middle of lunch because that's a I mean those lunch rooms are they're like just cattle in there you know they're screaming and yelling and noise and even though she's allowed to text from lunch it's almost impossible to get a text through to her. Right. Um, so I, I'll use them in that specific situation. Keep going. Hurry up. What's one more? We got. Go really? Yeah, well, I think I'm almost out. Oh, no, good. What else? Um. Well, here's one, but you kind of answered it. What does your endo think? I mean, obviously she's doing great her A1C and everything. But did they see that you stack? I, I know we. It's we, okay to stack insulin. We've got the CGM, but does your doctor care? I am. I am not a. We have go. You know, we go to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. They're very progressive there. Um, I see Arden's nurse practitioner mostly. Yeah. I'm sure Arden has an endocrinologist, but you know, we don't really see her very much. Um, she does appear to touch her once a year. Like she reaches out <laughs> and holds her hand. I. I always joke to the after she leaves. I joke to the nurse practitioner like, "Is that an insurance thing? Does she actually have to physically make contact <laughs> with her so that you can keep billing us this year?" And yeah. no one answers me, so I think I'm on to something. But yeah. um, but I would tell you that um. You know, my, my nurse practitioner has said to me many things that I take as her being very accepting. I, I've been brought into other rooms to talk to other families. Um, okay, awesome. I, you know, I've been told that um, she once told me that her the worst time of year for her, she told me, was the beginning of or the end of summer. Vac or how did she put it? She said she said summer vacation is a sad time for me because all those kids go home to parents who don't pay nearly as good attention to them as their school nurses do. And uh, she goes, and except for you, she goes, I, I'm excited for when your daughter's home with you. Yeah. And that was one of the things that nudged me into thinking like, how could I be with her all the time? Um, sorry about the alarm. Um, how could I be with her all the time? And, and that's where, you know, that's one of the things that got us to thinking about, um, you know, texting the diabetes instead of, uh, instead of counting on the nurse at the school and everything like that. Yeah. So like, you know, Arden's blood sugar is like 116 right now. And when you and I started talking, it was 160. Okay. But she went outside to play. Our friend of hers is over. They're all, they're sitting on the trampoline in the backyard 
and they have like snacks with them in case they get hungry and drinks and stuff like that. And the only the only the only thing I said to her going out the door was, you know, if you eat something, ball is for it. So, yeah. you know, I think we're good. Well, I've got 107 on our desk now, which is somewhat of a miracle because she spent the morning mostly that that morning spike after breakfast mm-hmm. is so high and so long. So, you know, I, I, I really do need to do that pre-bolus because I, I think I think look, in the end Arden's stable blood sugars, when the, you know, as stable as we can get them, and her A1C is, you know, as long as we can knock wood, keep it where it is. It, it's there's a blog post on on Arden's day somewhere, and I'll, I'll put a link to it. But it's having an insulin pump, big part of it. The Omnipod's been great. Yeah. Um, having a Dexcom, the other big part of it. But the other parts are me losing my fear, me having time with diabetes to learn, you know. I think this is definitely going to happen now. I believe it enough that I can react before it happens, like that kind of stuff. And community. Community is one of the things I listed in that blog post that I 100% believe because, you know, Arden uses a pager now, but she uses a pager because I saw someone else using a pager. I didn't know. Like, you know what I mean? Like somebody said to me, oh, I tried this. This worked better. Yeah. And, And I think that, I think that whether it's you and I talking or, in the last episode, uh, or you know, in the next couple, you're going to see a lot of, of of people like you talking with me. It's just somebody standing behind you, kind of going like, "That makes sense to me." Like, go ahead, do it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, it's the the courage that that sometimes you just need um, that doctors don't give you because I think they're busy doing least common denominator. You right. Know, you know. So, um, I think you. I think you. Listen, you sound way ahead of where I was a year into it. The technology obviously has given you a ton of confidence. And I think the last part you need is to trust the confidence that you're feeling. Right. You know, and I would, if I was you. Well, thanks so much. You're very welcome. Amy, you're doing a great job. You're winning. Well, thank, thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for doing this. I know you were trepidatious at first and um, everyone should know that Amy and I went back and forth a couple of times. She's like, I can't do that. I can't, maybe I could. Let me ask my husband. All right. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> but I appreciate you. Like, I could feel the whole time that you wanted to, and you just were looking for, like, you know, looking for it to be okay. So uh, I'm really thrilled you did it because this is more like somebody interviewing me, which we don't get to do very often. So, well, I was happy to have somebody answer my questions. Yep. So, anyway, let's go over that one more time. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse. Nothing I gave you was medical advice. <laughs> if you heard anything here, that you think might be interesting, you should definitely take it back to your endocrinologist and follow their advice 100% no matter what I said over the last hour and eight minutes. (laughs) That's a disclaimer, Amy, right there. (laughs) I got it. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. I really genuinely appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right, Amy, take care. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys, Amy has a website uh, where she sells smaller type 1 diabetes medical alert bracelets. So she found that her daughter's wrist was so small that she wasn't able to find any of those rubber bracelets that fit her. And so they designed and made their own. They're selling them, uh, it seems like a really uh, good price. I think it's like $5.99 and the shipping's like $0.50. Cents. Um, but anyway, she has a, a, a spot where you can go. It's t1dbands.blogspot.com. So if you're looking for type 1 diabetes alert bracelets that are small for the little ones in your life, Check out uh, t1dbands.blogspot.com and, and see what you think. I think she sells a lot of them through um, eBay and, uh, and through the blog. 
And she was such a good sport coming on today and asking so many questions. I told her I'd be happy to let you know about the, the link. So um, other stuff. Find me on, uh, what do they call that, where people talk to each other digitally? Social media, at Arden's Day or at Juicebox Podcast. I am currently looking for more guests for the Juicebox Podcast. Please go to Arden'sDay.com or JuiceboxPodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom, click on Contact. And send me a, uh, what they call an email, and I would love to have you on the show. I really did like the way this format went with Amy, and I would think um, more people might have different questions, and I'd love to try to sit down and talk to you about them. Uh, Unless you've got other stuff, perspectives, problems. I just got, while I was editing this episode, I put it up on my Facebook page that I was looking for more people. And I got this great note from someone who said, you know, you guys have so many, you know, you have so many like positive people on the podcast, but you know, I'm feeling kind of down about all this. I'd love to come on and, you know, do you think that would be a bummer for people to hear? And I don't think so at all. I think it would be terrific if someone wanted to come on and talk about what's not going right and how to cope with it. And so I messaged that person back and I said, can that person be you? Are you up for it? And I'm waiting to hear back from them, but I'm excited about that idea. So if you have an idea about what to do, just want to talk, ask questions, whatever you call me. And by call me, I mean, email me. And then we, uh, we do the chit chat thing here and make a podcast out of it. And then everybody gets to, to come along for the ride. Thank you so much for listening to episode 32. I will be back next week.